is. So today I want you to be encouraged to grow in your faith as we are approaching the Easter season and we continue our series here, What's So Big About Easter Anyway? And today we're going to talk about the miracles of Jesus in our message. So I, I pray above all things, your faith grows, your faith grows. Uh, so I'll mention our missionaries very quickly and put them on the screen and be praying for these folks, the mans who continue to, to prepare and to uh, write all of the content for leadership training. And Marie-José is still involved in Chitenje, I think I'm pronouncing that cor uh, correctly. And th that's a small business uh, uh, entrepreneurialism uh, in different countries in Africa and uh, uh, giving uh, families, women, uh, self-sustenance and all of that. So that's a great thing that she does as well and that both of them are involved in. Pray for our missionaries in Port-au-Prince today. Uh, Michel and Louis Charbonneau, you can track with them at HaitiMinistries.com and on Facebook. And EJ Toupe, who is in uh, uh, urban Toronto, in the, the jungles, as it were, of urban Toronto. Okay, a few announcements for you. Uh, Wednesday nights, uh, this Wednesday, we're going to continue our Cultures in Conflict uh, video Bible study. You can join that uh, just by clicking on the homepage of our website. Great content. If you want to learn to understand the Bible in its original context, uh, you want to be a part of this study. Only one hour every Wednesday night, and uh, we're really enjoying that. It'll go until the 14th of April. Tomorrow night, we're doing our live Q&A, and with the lead question will be uh, about the Old Testament and the Gospels. Are those relevant just for non uh, or relevant at all for non-Jewish people? Or are they just for Jewish people? You know, if you're not Jewish and you're a follower of Jesus, should you just follow Paul and Romans and so on? And what do the Gospels and, and the Old Testament have to do uh, with us? I'm having a little trouble hearing myself, but I'm trusting that you're hearing me at home, okay? If there's any issues, you uh, let us know. Just fire off a comment. Uh, and on Saturday night, I'm going to do something special with you at sundown because Saturday night is the time when the Jewish people have their Passover Seder, at least the first Seder uh, in many contexts. And they do it at sundown. So I'm going to talk to you about the subject Easter or Passover or both. What's the difference? Uh, and some of the typology and some of the connections between the two. And so you'll want to join me for that. It'll be Saturday night, sundown at 7.15, and we're going to do communion together at that time, all right? We did something similar last year, and we're going to do it again this year. Uh, there is a, a group that is is growing in terms of their depth and their walk with God together, this discipleship group that we formed, uh, people who are part of our church either online or in person, and uh, they're challenged. They're challenged to, uh, to, to do different things with the message that they hear every week. They're challenged with homework. They're challenged with sharing their faith. They're challenged with getting involved. And so if you want to be involved in that and take the next step uh, in your journey with, with, with God, you can join that group for, uh, through our, our Facebook page. Just click on the More tab, and you will see it there, and you can join with us. Thank you for your giving, as usual. So many of you are doing that online, and uh, you, it keeps us going into a year now with, uh, you know, all of this lockdown and online church and all of that. But I do have an announcement for you about Easter Sunday, all right? We are going to be back in the theater on Easter Sunday, we now can do that as uh, the restrictions are a little less uh, tight, and we could do 25 people. We're going to run two services back-to-back, -back, one at 9.45. Note the earlier, slightly earlier time, 9.45 and one at 11, all right? You do need to register for this. Go to our webpage, home site, and you will see easy buttons that you can click so that you can reserve your spot. I do have a little something special planned for little kids. Uh, well, not so little, but it, up to the elementary school age, something uh, for Easter. So you'll want to come and bring your kids as well. We're not going to have a, a specific kids program because of the restrictions, but we'll all be in screen number 10. Again, you choose your time, 945 or 11. What's so big about Easter anyway? Today we're talking about the miracles of Jesus uh, last week. 
And the week before, we covered different areas of his life, uh, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' temptation, and today, the miracles of Jesus. It's so important when you talk about Easter uh, that you don't just yank Easter out of the whole backdrop of the Gospels. When you understand who you're dealing with in the person of Jesus, when you understand who he is and who the people thought that he was and the impact that he made and the following that he gained and the uh, controversy that he caused and the things that he did, then when you get to his death and his resurrection, it it makes this, this huge impact. So we're going to cover the miracles of Jesus today, and I would encourage you uh, to watch the series that, um, this is the most recent series that has been done about the life of Jesus. It's called The Chosen. Uh, They've done one season so far, and uh, you can watch it for free online. You just have to download the app. As I've been saying to you for the last few weeks, it is outstanding. I will be showing you a clip from it at the end of the message today, uh, because it does relate to our message, Uh, and I'll also tell you that they're going to start season two on Easter Sunday night is going to be the first episode of season two. So you want to you want to do a little binge watching over Easter. You got a couple of days off. I'm telling you, you are going to be touched by this series. It is incredibly well done and uh, done in such a way that you can share it with non-Christian people. They're not going to think it's, you know, for religious folks only. Uh, and I think they'll get an insight into the life of Jesus that they may not have ever uh, had before, all right? So talking about the miracles of Jesus today and what do they tell us about Him. I'm going to use as our text uh, one of the oddest, strangest miracles of Jesus. This is from John chapter 2 in the Bible's New Testament. It's only in John. Uh, There's nothing like it in the entire Bible Uh, It is extremely unusual, and uh, I'm picking this miracle. You'll see why as we march through the message together today. Uh, I'll just read it for you here. Uh, John chapter 2 and verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana. Uh, Cana is in Galilee, the uh, province of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Pretty standard custom back in that time. And by the way, if you watch The Chosen, they they do have a depiction of this whole thing and this whole miracle that takes place uh, in this setting. It's quite well done. And so when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Back then, in that culture, that's a big deal. Uh, The hosts, if you will, of the of the wedding had to uh, be hospitable in that way. And when you ran out of wine, that really made you look quite bad. And so she goes to Jesus and tells him of the problem. And Jesus's response is rather interesting. Dear woman, why do you involve me? And some people think, was he being rude here? He's not. In that culture and time, he's not using a word there that would mean that he's disrespecting her, but it comes across a little harsh to us in English. My time has not yet come. Hmm. Maybe she thinks Jesus is capable of doing something about this problem, but he's telling her, no, not yet. Uh, His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So maybe she gets an inkling that perhaps he's willing to do something, but she tells everybody, listen up, if my son's going to do something, you're going to be impressed. So nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding uh, in the English uh, translation that I'm reading from, from 20 to 30 gallons, big, big vats. Uh, I have stood in front of these uh, vats, these kinds of vats that have been dug up in archaeology in a couple of uh, exhibits that I have been to. They are very large and very impressive, 20 to 30 gallons. So, you know, I think a car, sedan, normal sedan is what, uh, 10 gallons, I think, that it, that it uh, gallon is 3.78 
liters, you know, so it's not it's not that big compared to these vats. 20 to 30 gallons, enormous amounts here of water, and these were used for ceremonial washing, which the Jews did all the time. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them right up to the brim, right up to the top with water. That's a lot, a lot of water. And you got all these guests who are saying, where's the wine? Where's the wine? And Jesus is saying, fill all the all of these vats, uh, six of them, with water right to the top. So you've got, you know, let's say minimum 120 gallons of water in these jars. It's a lot of water. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Odd. Very, very odd. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. So they just did exactly what Jesus said. And then he called the bridegroom aside. And, uh, and he says to him, kind of in a side conversation, you know, this is, uh, this is really good what you did, basically, is what he's saying. Because usually what happens in these, in these things, between you and me, Mr. Groom, you know, and your bride looks very lovely over there. But between you and me, what usually happens is you bring out the cheap stuff at the end when people have had too much to drink. Everyone brings the choice wine out first. Very impressive at the beginning of the of the celebration, and then you bring the cheaper wine out, uh, at, you know, toward the end when the guests have had too much to drink. They they're not going to know the difference anyway. They're they're celebrating. They may be a little loopy, but Mr. Groom, this is some good wine you just gave me, and we're we're moving in deep into the banquet here, deep into the celebration. You have saved the best until now. Verse 11, this was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs, according to John, that he performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. It is a very odd miracle. Nothing like it in the Old Testament, nothing like it in the New Testament. There are some things in pagan mythology, a little bit of stuff about wine, but nothing like this. It is quite odd, quite strange. So I want to use this to talk to you today about the miracles of Jesus, what they tell us about him, why they're so important for us to uh, understand today and how they apply to our lives. First of all, there's a lot of stuff that runs through our mind because we're so smart, at least we think we are in the 21st century. What is a miracle first and foremost? We need to just like pause and, and establish that a bit because we, we are, we're strange folks. Um, we boast of our all of our intelligence and all of our achievements and all of our technology and uh, our secularism, in particular here in the province of Quebec, we have a highly secular uh, state or province, and we also are naturalists. All that exists is nature and all the things that we see and, and can touch and so on. That's all there is. Uh, and yet we use this word miracle all the time. We say miracle, it's still a word that's used. It's not Old English. It's very contemporary. Uh, the biggest use of the word miracle right now is for these vaccines. Four of them that have come out within not even 12 months of the discovery of a novel coronavirus. It's never been done before in the history of vaccine technology, and people toss around this word miracle. They say it's miraculous that they've come up with these, uh, these vaccines so quickly, and we use this term for a lot of things. You know, it's a miracle that my son passed that exam. You know, it's a miracle that I made it through the day with all of these, you know, these problems. Uh, and sometimes we'll use it for really amazing things, uh, but things that occur naturally, like childbirth. You know, we say it's a miracle um, that that uh, had this baby. Um, in a in a biblical sense, when we use this word miracle and we try and define it according to the Bible, then all those things that I just mentioned wouldn't really be miracles. Uh, the birth would be a miracle if the 
parents couldn't conceive and were, let's say, in their 90s, uh, like Abraham and Sarah, or if the mother was a virgin like Mary, that would be a miracle. Uh, but, you know, your son passing his exam and, you know, getting his driver's license and even the development of these vaccines, we can't really use the word miracle for this, at least if we're going by the way the Bible defines it. And I found a good definition uh, of the word miracle. This is from uh, William Lane Craig. And uh, I would encourage you, especially those of you who think about your faith a lot, uh, those of you who are in school and your faith is being challenged and in some ways attacked, uh, William Lane Craig is a Christian philosopher, teacher, debater, does some evangelism as well. Uh, very debates at very, very high uh, places of academia and so on. And uh, one of the more respected Christian philosophers. Um, and just philosophers in general. And he uses this definition for a miracle. I like it. He says it's an event not producible by the natural causes that are operative at the time and place that the event occurs. Good definition. A little bit dry, but good. It's something that happens that can't happen via the natural causes that are there at the time. Uh, so there's something else. There's an intervention of God that causes this to happen, a.k.a. water, and then you have wine. So that's what a miracle really is, at least if you look into the Bible and try to understand this term. And this is, we use this in an English, as an English word. Uh, in the New Testament, you have words in the Greek that are translated signs, wonders, uh, and we use this word miracle as well. And so this is a direct intervention of God because this is not something that happens via the laws of nature. You say, well then, uh, and, you know, young people will say this, and thinking people who, you know, just in general will say this, well, then that means that miracles contradict science, don't they? That means that all these miracles of Jesus that we're, that we're about to look at today, we're going to look at all of them today. You'll see how I'll do it in a minute. It'll just take a few minutes. Uh, but that means that they all contradict science, don't they? I mean, and then, you know, it's like, oh, so if I'm going to be a Christian, then I have to kind of eject my brain and stop thinking. and st No, miracles do not contradict science. I'll just put this on the screen for you. Just using the, this miracle of Jesus at the wedding, uh, science tells us that there was water. Say, what science? Well, I mean, they, they knew what water was, right? It doesn't, didn't take a genius. Science tells us that there was water. Jesus said, put water in those vats. They filled it with water. And then science tells us that there was wine. I mean, the master of the banquet, he tasted, he said, Wow, you've really brought out the good stuff at the end here. Good on you. You're a great host. I've not seen this before. So science tells us there's water. Science tells us there was wine. But science can tell us nothing about how it happened. Zero. It's outside of the domain of science, but it's not against science. So when you talk about science and you talk about the miraculous, you can't, you can't put them against one another they don't really oppose one another. The miraculous is operating above and, and beyond what uh, nature is, is, is predicting would happen. But there isn't really a contradiction there. And science can go so far as to tell us, well, there was water, there was wine. We don't know what manner, <laughs> how that happened. We don't know if it was sleight of hand. We don't know what happened. We, but we're telling you there's water there, and now we're telling you there's wine there. And that's as far as it can go. Now, just some food for thought, and this is especially for young people, because I guarantee you, your faith is going to be challenged as you grow and as you study and as you think and as you grow up. You, your faith is you're going to think about things. You're going to push back on things that you've been taught, and that's okay to do because God can handle all of that uh, and all of that wondering and all of that questioning and all of that pushback. 
But let me just give you an aside here, kind of just for people who are studying in schools and all of that, and you're in that milieu where your faith is always being challenged, challenged, challenged. The, The leading view worldwide about origins, because this is where it always boils down to, origins versus the Bible, the leading view worldwide. And, and, I, and I have spent many, many years uh, dealing with this, and what a ball of yarn it is. The leading worldview uh, in, in cosmology, in biology, in all of the sciences, the leading view is the Big Bang. 14, 15 billion years ago, there was absolutely nothing, not even time. There was absolutely nothing, and there was uh, an explosion of immeasurable power and force, so much so that we claim that we can measure the radiation of it and the red shift that has taken place from it 15 billion years later, we can actually measure it. So this is what we're saying now, and this is across, this is worldwide, all over the sciences, 14, 15 billion years ago, absolutely nothing, and then you had absolutely something because of this, this unfathomable, incredibly powerful explosion. That is the leading view. Now, that nobody can tell us across academia, across the scientific spectrum, nobody can tell us what caused that. Nobody. Hawking, the late Stephen Hawking, uh, got to a point where he said that it happened because it happened in a quantum vacuum. Quantum vacuums are almost like stuff out of Star Trek, okay? But Hawking said, in a quantum vacuum could have caused the Big Bang, no need for a God whatsoever. But the question becomes, what caused the the quantum vacuum? And what is a quantum vacuum, right? You still have something if you have a quantum vacuum. But again, absolutely something came from absolutely nothing According to the leading view worldwide across the academic scientific spectrum. You tell me if that requires a little bit of faith. It most certainly does. You have water and then you have wine, but we don't know how. Science can't tell us how the water turned into wine. And the same thing is true even for origins. So even if we adhere to the model, that's that's the view, uh, the most popular view worldwide, you still run into the problem of that would take a miracle because absolutely nothing can't produce absolutely something. It is impossible, especially when you have absolutely nothing. You have no time. You have no laws of nature. You have absolutely nothing. And then all of a sudden, you have absolutely something. That would take a miracle. It would be very similar to turning water into wine. Because water is, we know this from science, you've got hydrogen and you've got oxygen. Wine, you've got a whole bunch of stuff in there, including alcohol. Yes, I believe it was alcoholized wine that these folks drank. The master of the banquet knew enough to know what alcoholized wine tasted like. I don't think it was grape juice. It's impossible. You can't have water and then wine in the same vat and he didn't, Jesus didn't put anything in the vat besides water. He didn't say, now, everybody leave the room. And he didn't pull some magic potion out of his pocket and sprinkle it into the, into the vat. So he, he effortlessly, you had water and then you had wine. So miracles, no, they do not contradict science. They operate in a, in a sphere that science really can't touch or can't tell as much about. And even the hardened atheist is going to have to come to a place where they're going to say, my goodness, it would take a miracle for the Big Bang to have happened, wouldn't it? Something from nothing. Now, did Jesus' miracles really happen 
any way. And there are a plethora of them that we have to ask this question about. I will go through all of them in just a couple of moments. But did they really happen is a question that people ask all the time. The wonderful thing about the Gospels when they report these miracles uh, in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in John is that nobody doubts the natural parts of the story. So I'll put it on the screen for you. Nobody doubts that the wedding took place. They'll say, oh, well, yeah, there was a wedding at Cana. Cana is a real place in Galilee. Galilee is a real place. Weddings were real. Masters of banquets were real. The way that these things are written, they're written in a narrative format. The writers of, these, of, the, of the Gospels, and we've been looking at this on Monday nights in our Q&A thing, the writers of the Gospels clearly intend for us to take these things as recordings of things that, according to them, happened. They're not intending us to interpret this as some kind of mythology or some kind of um, uh, um, a fable or allegory to bring out a greater truth. They honestly believe that these things happened, and they're trying to report them to us as if they are true. Nobody doubts that the wedding took place, but we'll doubt the miracle, won't we? In our 21st century, post-enlightenment, high-technology, secularist, naturalist worldview, we'll doubt the miracle. But why will we doubt the miracle and not the wedding? We should be doubting the wedding too. But we'll give the Gospels the wedding, but we'll doubt the miracle. Why will we do that? We will do that because we have a prior bias against miracles. We will do that because we will approach the text and we'll say, miracles can't happen, miracles don't happen, and therefore there's no way that this man turned water into wine, but yes, there was a wedding. Why are we doing that? We're doing that because we're biased, and there's three ways that, there's only three ways that we can explain, uh, try and explain away the miraculous part of the story, and uh, I've dealt with these uh, considerably on Monday nights and, and in the past, but I'll go through them in about 30 seconds. We can say that there's bad transmission, so the, the manuscripts that we have today have been transmitted to as bad. The story changed over time. It's very, very easy to say that that's not true. We can say that it's a tall tale. Uh, they lied. They deliberately concocted all of these things. They, they, Jesus was a real guy. The, miracle, the, the wedding was real. The, all of that was real, but, but this was written down uh, the miraculous part as a lie, and that's easy to refute. The, all of the people who wrote this down uh, died for it, went to their graves for it, believed that it was very, very true. Uh, there's no intentionality uh, to lie at all evident on their part. Or we can say that it's a, uh, sorry, the untruth is the lie part, or we could say it's a tall tale. They exaggerated, they made it up, they were too, you know, something like that happened, but they're a little too foolish, and, you know, they're ag aggrandizing everything, and that's very, very easy to refute as well. So we approach these things with a bias um, because we think that, you know, we're so uh, with it today and so enlightened today and so on. And again, yet we believe that 15 billion years ago, absolutely something came from absolutely nothing. So it's a little bit ironic, okay? Did the miracles of Jesus really happen? Let me go through them with you. And then we're going to take a look at one of them uh, via video as we finish up today. In Jesus's miracles, you have several things going on. And you've got to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to observe this. You've got a huge quantity. You have a, a variety. This is, they're not all the same. And you have a scope of power that's being displayed here. So turning water into wine, that's creative power. There's nothing you can do to H2O to turn it into wine. It is absolutely impossible. And Jesus does this effortlessly. There is wine in there. That shows tremendous creative power, the likes of which is incomprehensible to us. You have the healing of the official's son that takes place from a distance. Jesus isn't in, even in front of the official's son. This is in John chapter 4, and uh, he's not even there. 
and the 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 the, the son of this uh, official is healed you have this catch of enormous amounts of fish Jesus says, lower your net onto the, onto the other side of the boat. And they catch this ridiculously large amount of fish. This is, this is power over nature. How is a person able to bring fish into a net? You have various accounts of people with demonic issues being effortlessly healed by Jesus. We don't see this Anywhere in the Old Testament, we see it, though, in the life of Jesus. We have one who is healed on the Sabbath day. We have Peter's mother-in-law who's sick in bed with a fever, who Jesus effortlessly heals. We have several instances of people with what looks like leprosy that Jesus effortlessly heals. Power over physical sickness, power over the spiritual world, power over anything from a fever to uh, leprosy, we have uh, paralytic people who are healed. People who've never walked in their lives are healed by Jesus. We have someone whose hand is withered, and Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and the hand is fully formed. I mean, what is that? The likes of this, it, the scope of this, it's hard to understand. We have the centurion's uh, servant healed from a distance. He's not even there, Jesus with this uh, servant, and the centurion says, you just say the word and he'll be healed, and he is. We have uh, a widow's son who they're, they're doing a funeral procession for, and Jesus revives the corpse. Uh, that is, you see the scope there. Do you see the quantity there? Um, we have the storm stopped on the Sea of Galilee. He speaks to weather and controls weather. We have the uh, demoniac people at the Gadarenes instantly delivered by Jesus, people who were bound with chains. They couldn't even hold them down. They were terrified of them. He does it effortlessly. We have a woman, the woman with the um, the hemorrhaging for years and years. He heals her effortlessly. We have Jairus's daughter, again, revived from the dead. We have two blind men that are healed. We have uh, a person with demonic issues that causes the person not to be able to to speak, Jesus instantly delivered. I mean, this is not even half of the miracles reported in the Gospels. I'm not even halfway done. We have a minimum of 5,000 people fed with a little sack of a boy's lunch, and Jesus multiplies this food. Folks, there would have been ten to 15,000 people there hungry. You know how angry a crowd gets when a crowd is hungry? And he's able to, to take this little boy's lunch and multiply it to a point where all these people are fed and there's leftovers? Excuse me? What kind of power is that? Uh, and, and if you're going to deny these miracles, you've got to deny all of them. There's like 40 of them minimum that you have to deny. They're all over the place in the Gospels. You can't hardly turn the page of the Gospels without running into a miracle. We have Jesus walking on water. Again, the dominance over nature. You have the Syrophoenician woman's daughter who is healed. Doesn't matter if the person's Jewish. Doesn't matter if they're Gentile. He has no restrictions. Doesn't matter to him. You have a, uh, a person who cannot speak, cannot hear, who's healed. You have another 4,000 people who are fed miraculously. The provision there. You have a blind man healed. You have Jesus being transfigured on, on the mountain and his physical body changes. And, and you've got Moses and Elijah there. I mean, it's one after the other after the other. And the scope and the variety, you have a boy with a, 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 a demon issue who is delivered effortlessly. You have a coin that Jesus puts in the mouth of a fish under the sea. He's, I mean, that, that's so bizarre. You have a healing of a man who is born blind. You have a healing of a woman who has 18 years of infirmity. infirmity. She's bent over, and he effortlessly 
uh, heals her. You have a man who's healed of what what used to be called dropsy, which today is congenital uh, heart failure. You have Lazarus brought back from the dead. That's, again, the revival of a corpse. You have 10 people with leprosy healed in an instant. You have blind Bartimaeus healed. You have a fig tree that Jesus curses as an illustration and it doesn't bear fruit you have malchus's ear put back on after after it's uh, it's cut off the servant of the high priest when jesus is arrested you you have the um uh, uh another catch of fish after the resurrection of jesus and then you have statements that just are generalized they're not even specific jesus healed all manner of sickness he healed every sickness he made everyone in the crowd whole he brought many people were healed uh people were healed of their infirmities you have a statement from john saying jesus did many things if we wrote them all down all the books in the world wouldn't be able to contain them huh the scope the variety the quantity if you're going to discount the miracles of jesus and think that they are insignificant to your life you basically have no more jesus left His miracles were part and parcel of him. You cannot cannot divorce the two. You cannot separate the two. You have way too many, and they're all over the place. And some of them are reported by all four of the writers. Some of them aren't. They fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. It is a virtually impossible task to believe in a Jesus who is incapable of of doing miracles in the past, in the Gospels, and even in the present. There is one that I didn't mention uh, that I would like you to watch. Uh, hopefully, you, two, you folks who are watching on YouTube, you'll see it this time, and YouTube won't, won't uh, uh, try and do a copyright thing on us there. We, we have the rights to play it, uh, but sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. If they do, switch over to our website and go to Connect Sermons, and you can watch it there. Um, but this this clip is from this series called The Chosen. There's a statement, one line in the Gospels that talks about a woman named Mary Magdalene. She's been depicted so many times, television, movies, and all of that. And there's a statement in the Gospels that says, out of her came seven demons. We don't know anything about how it happened. We don't know much about her background. And the way that this series does it is they they give us, uh, they create a backdrop and they, they go into her past and they and they show uh, it's very, very vivid the trauma that this that she endured from uh, being a child and uh, sexually assaulted as a child and and uh, things that happened in her family and the loss uh, uh, loss after loss and trauma after trauma and uh, a particular scripture verse that was very important to her and then they show you this woman. Uh, with with her demons. It's very, very vivid. And this is in the first two episodes that you can watch. And they bring in Nicodemus. If you know Nicodemus from the Gospels, kind of a quiet, secret believer uh, who was part of the Jewish ruling council. And uh, they bring in Nicodemus to try and uh, deliver her from her problems. They bring her in, bring him into the place that she lived. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's burning incense and all of this. It's really quite vivid, and he can do nothing to help her. And then you see Jesus effortlessly uh, deliver this woman from her problems, and then you see uh, Nicodemus have a conversation with her after she is completely transformed, and he's just trying to figure out what in the world happened. I'd like you to watch this clip, and then we'll just make a, a couple of comments before we close today. So hopefully it'll work for all of you online. You're really going to enjoy it. Go ahead. Magdala. 
Who are you? How do you know my name? Thus says the Lord who created you. And he who formed you. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense? I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you you are healed. That that much is clear. I, I just want to understand how it happened. That makes two of us. <laughs> How long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. It was so. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? <laughs> he performs miracles and seeks no credit? Well, what does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I... I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> I have to be home to prepare for Shabbat, as I'm sure you do. So meant that you're even hosting Shabbat dinner. It will be nothing like yours, I'm sure of that. But I'm going to try. Shabbat Shalom Nicodemus. Shalom, Mary. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing in between was him. Um, I wonder if you can say the same thing today. When we talk about the miracles of Jesus what they do, why they're there, and what they meant back then, 
and what they mean to us today, over and over again, they tell us who He is. So, back to the water and the wine. The reason why the people looked at this and they said uh, He revealed His glory and it wasn't just like some kind of magic trick to them. The reason why they understood who he was is because of in their world, there were, there were promises and images of new wine, vats of new wine. And they were a sign of God doing something, God's activity, God's action. Uh, one that's probably the most the most famous is in the book of Joel. And in Joel chapter 2, Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the autumn rains. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. This is a promise of redemption and deliverance uh, after the locusts have taken the land in this imagery that Joel uses. And he says, the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And I think that these people back in Jesus's time at that wedding, they said, wow, we've got vats overflowing with new wine. God is on the move. God just did this in front of us. This man has revealed his glory and he is God with us. And this is what you see over and over and over again in the Gospels. Even in the book of Acts, when people are healed, it's Jesus on display. It's Jesus being glorified. It's God at work through the person, the God-man, the Lord Jesus. What is your testimony today? Were you one way and now you're another? And the thing in between was him because he is able to do the impossible he is able to forgive you of your sin and pull it out of your life and to wash you and cleanse you and make you new he is able to heal your broken body today he is able to provide for you when you have nothing left he is able to comfort you when you're alone and when you're isolated, he's able to heal the broken relationships in your life. He's able to bring that new wine to your situation and that your vat would overflow with it. He's able to do the impossible. So I want to pray for you, and I want you to bring your situation, whatever it is, to God, and you could even name it and, 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 and declare what that situation is and say, God, I just name this problem to you, and I just want to bring this to your feet, and I want to bring it to you, this this mere water situation, and God, I'm believing that you're going to do something with it, and you're going to totally transform it, and you're going to create something new because you can, God. So, Lord, I pray for for people who are watching, listening, people who will watch and who, who will listen, and, and, and God, that, uh, that situations that seem like they, they don't even want to pray about it anymore, they think it's finished, they think it's over, they think you've forgotten, they think you've, you, you, you've checked out, you've punched out, you're not able, you're incapable, you're, your power has somehow been diminished. God, I pray that they would see you reveal yourself once again in their situation. God, we come to you and we ask you to forgive us for our sin. We ask you to fill us with faith. And we ask that Jesus would, would uh, invade our hearts and lives once again. 
God, that, that we would be challenged this Easter season over the next couple of weeks as we move closer. God, we would be challenged. We would hold on to faith like we never have before, even as we walk through this pandemic and continue and continue to do it. God, not that faith would drop, but faith would grow in people's lives. I pray for young people, teens, adults, and, and people who are thinking of letting it go, God, that they would hold on to you and embrace you and watch you do impossible things once again in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Silence the most the 
just love this band. We've got Sean to my right, we've got Viano behind me, we've got Simon to my left, and I'm just gonna, gonna finish up here and then let these guys play as long as they want to and we'll keep the feed going. Join us tomorrow night for our Q&A. Join us Wednesday night for Cultures in Conflict. Join us Saturday at sundown for Passover or Easter with communion together. Remember to register for Easter Sunday. God bless you, everyone. <laughs>